0: to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks reporter at ESPN Milwaukee, also the Milwaukee Bucks reporter at ESPN Cudahy, which I, I've i already tried this one already once this week. Uh, none of you got to hear it because things did not go well and our recording ended up being garbage, but I'm hoping ESPN Cudahy is not the jinx. And it is instead all of the terrible equipment I've been attempting to use this week. So shout out to all of our, our folks in ESPN in the ESPN Cudahy affiliate. Very close to Milwaukee. Very easy and accessible. Um, and I will be sure to be down there later this week. Joining me as always. Well, maybe not always because this week has sucked. But still joining me as he has more often than not for the 450 plus podcasts that we've done. Is my good friend and the founder of brewhoop.com, Frank Madden. Frank how you doing buddy
1: i'm good it's been a while eric um shout out to uh i think it was our uh, uh regular tweeter at us uh and locked on listener uh, i think josh samarau i think was who tweeted us a uh, meme
0: uh of
1: <laughs> you know the the guy looking at the girl walking past him with um your garbage computer being the scorned um, girl who's being ignored, me being the guy, and um, dunked on, uh, being the the new girl um, in the in that meme. I did make my uh, my annual appearance with with uh, our friend Nate Duncan for the uh, the Bucks preview uh, earlier today. So um, I think anybody who follows us on Twitter probably saw us uh, tweet that out. So thanks to uh, to Nate for the chance to talk. It's it's always kind of daunting because I mean like we could do like a five hour season preview podcast, right? Like if we were trying to actually yeah. cover everything that we want. So inevitably I always feel like some things got rushed, some things didn't get talked about at all, et cetera, et cetera. But I haven't, I haven't listened back to it. So, um, I don't know. I may not even bother cause I just feel like it'll just make me think of things that we didn't talk about. But, um, hopefully we will, uh, hopefully we educated the, the greater basketball podcast sphere on, uh, on the Bucks. Um, the big question, although,
0: Frank, is yeah. I know Nate typically does over-unders, and in years past, you have been one of the few uh, folks that go on a podcast to talk about the team that you're an expert on and been like, you know what? I'll take the under. Did you take the under this year?
1: Uh, no. And I, I joked about how I was breaking <laughs> along, along uh, Bucks, Bucks' quote-unquote expert tradition on his pod because... Our friend Jeremy Schmidt previously had appeared on Nate's pod doing this. And um, I don't know if he did it every year. I don't know how many times he was on, but <laughs> at least the year before I did it, um, Jeremy took the under. And then the last two years, I took the under.
0: <laughs> and
1: so this year, I broke with the ranks, uh, or at least I broke with tradition, and I, I took the over. I, I joke that I, I, I'm too much of an old Bucks fan to be able to go 50 wins in my prediction so i went 49 (laughs) um which feels like kind of a sellout to hashtag team 50 wins sure um but uh i was actually pleasantly surprised because nate also went 49 wins so
0: um
1: it's been kind of funny listening to the previews because inevitably nate seems to always go like two or three wins fewer than the person who is talking about the team like the expert on the Mm -hmm. team kind of you know again just sort of that inherent bias that we just seem to have, unless you're a Bucks fan, I guess, um, in over, overrating your team. But um so yeah, so Nate, uh, well Nate and Nate joked, right? Like, you know, when you when you uh as as Nate so eloquently put it, when you shit on Jason Kidd for so long, you got you know, when you get a new coach, you gotta put your money <laughs> where they mouth is right? So sure. yeah. um so Nate was like, you oh, know hey we, I, I gotta say these guys are gonna be a lot better <laughs> otherwise. Um you know he had Jason Kidd ranked last in his uh last year when Nate, uh, Nate and Danny did their coach ranking. So um, obviously that's a big part of the story. And um, I think Nate also mentioned having Giannis. Um, he hasn't decided yet, but he might, he, he's debating whether or not to put Giannis as his favorite for MVP. So um, so yeah, good, good discussion. And, and Nate certainly um, I think shares a lot of our kind of longer term concerns about the bucks kind of, sure. you know, long-term contending ability, but um, certainly as far as this year and, and being a much improved team, um i think certainly uh it was nice to hear someone who is not inside our little um bucks biodome uh you know have have similar thoughts on on the bucks. so anyway enough of that but uh but yeah shout out to nate and uh and uh, danny wasn't on but shout out to nate and danny larue who's normally his co-host uh two of my favorites uh, to listen to so uh, so yeah time, something to listen to in uh, in august about the bucks
0: I will say, this is an incredibly uncomfortable time for those of us used to thinking about the Milwaukee Bucks, because I I did a a roundtable episode the other week with Dennis Krause, and he asked, it was like, fact or fiction, or true or false, or something like that. And the questions were, Mike Booneholzer, coach of the year, and Yastadokumbo MVP, and both of them weren't like, me laughing out of hand, right? Like it, it wasn't just out of hand that's such a ridiculous idea that can never happen. It's like, uh, you know, neither of them are that crazy. Uh, both of them could happen. Like Giannis could be the MVP this season, and well, if if one is true, there's probably a good chance the other is true, right? Because that would if Giannis ends up winning an MVP, well, then I would assume that the Bucks have won 50 games, maybe more. And if the Bucks have improved by six or more games and, you know, they're in a top three spot in the East, well, you know, maybe Mike Budenholzer is in the conversation for coach of the year. Typically, maybe it's a little bit more extreme, more extreme of a turnaround, like going from a bottom, like a a seller dwelling team to a fringe playoff team or, you know, like it, maybe it's a little bit bigger than six wins, but that would be a, a pretty large improvement. And it, it is just a weird time as a bucks, uh, a purveyor of bucks opinions to be like, yeah, you know what? You can be optimistic. I, I don't even know what to do with it. It's just kind of weird.
1: Yeah. And that was one thing we talked about on the pod was, you know, there's definitely a narrative, right. If the bucks can crack 50 wins, I think, I think the third seed is probably really important. You know, typically, MVPs come from really elite teams, right? Yeah. Like, it, you, typically, it's not a team a little lower down. I mean, Westbrook, a couple of years ago, was sort of an exception to that. But um, typically, it's, you know, 50-plus wins. but And also, a, like, I think a top two seed is generally what, what the MVP is from. So, um, I think if, you know, if the Bucs can get to the third spot, especially if they can beat out Philly... I think symbolically that would have a lot of value. And I also think, you know, like when you think about like him positioning Giannis relative to the other MVP candidates, I think winning more games than the Pelicans is important, right? Because you kind of look at the Pelicans and the Bucks in similar ways in terms of, you know, Giannis and Anthony Davis are clearly the the leaders of those teams. They don't have sort of second traditional stars and as much as Drew holiday and, and Chris Milton are very good players. They don't have, you know, like another superstar at this sure. point. So, Um, so whatever success they have they're going to get credit for it and so if they can bring their teams to 50 plus wins that's obviously going to be be a big storyline for them big narrative and i think Anthony davis probably has a harder chance of doing that just because of um being in the west and just i I don't know i I, i'm a little less sure with with alfred payton coming in there i I do like julius randall a lot Um, i love meritage with davis um but who knows right and then obviously davis has had some injury worries things like that but um but yeah gonna be really interesting especially um you know i think uh, as much as uh my wife is a rockets fan so i'm a rockets fan um i don't think the rockets are gonna win as many games this year and so i think that'll probably cool sort of harden's case for for a second straight mvp and then probably like Kawhi is like the other x factor right i mean if toronto wins 60 sure. games, um he's gonna be the, the guy presumably if he stays healthy so um He's also a guy that I could definitely see making a run at the MVP, just because you know the narrative side of it and being on a team that can be really great. But anyway, yeah, I think again, winning games. Funny how that leads to uh, <laughs> a lot of fun hype and and winning game. But let's uh, I guess we have to kind of cool our jets a little bit because these are the Bucks and they. <laughs> <that's> <laughs> that. So, um, but anyway, should we get into our uh, the topic that we started last week and promised to do? more of this week but are are now dragging our feet and only getting to here at the end of the week.
0: I would love to, but first I wanted to talk a little bit about another reason why the MVP might happen. Uh, Giannis Dedekumbo did actually work out with Kobe Bryant, um, or at least he claimed to do so on an Instagram photo with him and Kobe hanging out. Um, so if you were looking for more uh, turnaround jumpers on the baseline, selfish decisions, um, trying to think of other th- <laughs> more isolation play for Giannis, if you're looking for all those things, he he went to the master of all of them. No. I'm just kidding. Um, Kobe Bryant does a number of, of very good things. Um, but also, you know, he's Kobe. So he did actua-
1: it. Like, you're like 60% kidding with that joke.
0: Correct. The, I mean, what do they say about good jokes? Like there's, there's some truth in them. Right. Um, so he did that. Uh, obviously he had told me around the all-star break that that was his hope. And he was hoping while he was in LA, he would get to talk to Kobe about doing that. And he got to do that. Um, and, I know every time this conversation comes up, I think we always – the the conversation that happens after the conversation about him doing that is, you know, is Kobe a good person to work out with? Uh, should it be Dirk? Should it be Dirk's shooting coach? Should it be um, Chip England? Um, should it be Kawhi Leonard? Should it be LeBron James? I, who Who would actually be the ideal, you know – Uh, sensei to search out I suppose and I I don't know that it really exists like I I think it's uh, obviously we got to see Giannis work with KG a little bit um, and you know maybe that made him more willing to talk some trash and scream strange things in people's ears but I I don't know that there is a perfect person but I guess it is always good to see Giannis kind of pushing himself and you know trying to search out and find those people.
1: Yeah, and it's something that he has traditionally not done, right? I mean, that was the story I think last year was at LeBron's camp. I guess I don't know if it was LeBron himself, but LeBron's camp, I think, he had extended an invitation for him to work out with LeBron, and he didn't. He kind of just opted not to do that. So um, that's sort of not how Giannis is wired, um, which is kind of in contrast to kind of the more buddy buddy. Kind of clickish, you know, Team USA sort of side of the league that kind of has become more, um, more common, I think, and or more visible as well over the last few years. So, um, so yeah, who knows, right? I, I don't think um, you know. It used to be like there was that that period where like Dwight Howard and all these other big men were like working out with Akeem Olajuwon for a week during the summer, and it was like, oh, now they're going to have dream shakes and all that stuff. And it's like, <laughs> eh, not really. Um, so I don't think anything. Uh, and I don't think you know a few days with Kobe is going to you know, radically change anything. But sure. um, I think that's the, the story of Giannis is is and his greatness is that he doesn't need um, really that sort of external push, right? I mean, he's really so internally driven that um, he's reached great heights um, really kind of largely on his own and without all that uh, that sort of external support. Um, and one one other benefit which we've mentioned but haven't talked a lot about, you mentioned Chickling Chip England. The Spurs' famous shot doctor, who's worked with Kawhi and, and others, um, you probably don't need him maybe as much, just because the Bucks do have Ben Sullivan now. Came over with Mike Budenholzer's staff, yep. and Ben Sullivan is a protege of Chip Englund, um, and you know has gotten a fair bit of credit for reworking Ken Bazemore and some other folks' shot in uh, in Atlanta. So, um, you know, if if Giannis has a breakthrough as a shooter this year, I'm sure we may see some stories about his work with Ben Sullivan, but who knows, right? We haven't really seen. Anything suggests that, you know, Giannis has rewired his shot or anything like that. But if they go in, people are going to get excited and there's going to be prize stories written about it. So, um, Eric, I hope you have lots of fodder for writing <laughs> stories about Giannis discovering his touch as a shooter because of, you know, a week with Kobe or six months with Ben Sullivan or whatever. I don't really care. I don't care why. If I just want it to happen.
0: <laughs> yeah, we'll see what happens there. All right, let's get into Buck Survivor. Uh, we already knocked out the first uh, six spots on the list. Uh, we are going from the bottom up, or I guess maybe from the top down. I'm not really sure how you want to view the list, but uh, we're starting with the guys we would most likely throw out there uh, if an expansion draft occurred. So the guys that, you know, if you're... If you're moving out of your apartment and you just throw something out onto the street, or not onto the street, but out by the street, uh, this would those would be the guys. So uh, to start off my list, I have John Henson, Matthew Delvadova, Shabazz Muhammad, Pat Connaughton, Tyler Zeller, and Tony Snell. If you missed any of the reason on that, you can go back to, geez, at this point, it was the podcast from a week ago. Um, you can check it out there. Uh, Frank, who were your first six?
1: Um, we had the same first two. John Henson and Matthew Delavoda, sorry guys, contracts are important. Yep. Um, and then keeping with that theme, for me, I had Tony Snell all the way at fifteen, just because of contractual concerns, not because of really Tony's game per se. But um, I had him low down there just because, again, thinking the next summer in particular, if you didn't have a Snell or a Henson or a Delvadova on your cap, um, you have a lot more flexibility to go out and make potential additional signings. Um, and then thereafter, I had Shabazz at fourteen. DJ Wilson at 13 and Pat Connaughton at 12. Those are my first six. And um, I would say we're sort of at the point where, um, you know, I I think I described it as now we're sort of at that point where the value is sort of more at the break-even level. Like Pat Connaughton, would I, would I choose to give away Pat Connaughton? No, I want Pat Connaughton Um, on a one year, one plus one or a two minus one where his second year is non-guaranteed.
0: Yeah. Yeah, sure
1: you know, not pay, 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 I'm not paying him any money really. Does um, doesn't really impact your long-term flexibility. I'm fine keeping a guy like that on the roster. So um, I think when we were trying to record the other night, I compared the, this part of the um, the yard sale or the um, you know throwing stuff on the curb to uh, like like the uh, you know I think pr- people probably have had the experience like if you if you have the, the benefit of going from a apartment where you need a, a window unit AC, to a, having central air in an apartment or house, you have to try to figure out what are you going to do with that AC? And you're yeah. like, man, this is an air conditioner. This is worth something. This has value. But also, I don't need to drag this thing around anymore. <laughs> and so what do I do with it? So you're kind of torn. Do I throw it on the curb? Do I throw it in my storage or something like that? Um, in this case, that that AC unit is, is Pat Connaughton. <laughs> or for me, my number 11 Your number 13, Tyler Zeller. I think all these guys are like, yeah, sure. I guess I'll keep them on the roster. If I had to open up need flexibility or something like that, like I'll throw them into a trade, whatever. But um, they're not offensive to me. I can see them having a role. Um, They're not preventing me from doing anything though. So um, we're kind of in that zone now where it's sort of a break-even thing from a value perspective. And I think we're going to start getting the guys who we do consider more of know positive assets right like if we were going to give up on them we would want to probably get something in return
0: all right so i'm going to do my next four uh right here just because they are kind of grouped together and if you listen to the first part of the podcast you can probably guess the direction that i'm going in here Um, a little bit of a shocker for frank because i think my guy at 11 he would have thought would have been in the bottom of this list but dj wilson is at number 11 for me christian wood at number 10 dante DiVincenzo at number nine and thon maker at number eight or did i say that yeah I, those are the right numbers um but those are my four and i guess why i put all those guys there is one i do think you have uh, i'm trying to think of the way to say it uh you know there's some draft capital in those guys it might be draft capital that has already been wasted because you didn't make the right selections on you know three first rounders you could have screwed all of those up um you know maybe Maybe DJ Wilson is never going to be an NBA player, and maybe I feel better about saying that about him than I would about DiVincenzo or Maker, but uh, all those guys in that area are kind of, I don't know. At this point, you don't really know that you'll ever get anything out of them. You don't know if signing any of them to a second contract is worthwhile, uh, but I do still think they have... uh, They've played... They've played not quite enough basketball for me to be totally convinced that they are nothing and should be thrown onto the curb. Um, I'm still hopeful in many ways on a number of those guys. I throw Christian Wood in the mix there as well, just because um, I thought he had a good summer league and he's very cheap and, you know, maybe there is some upside and, and a player still in there. Divincenzo, we haven't really seen much of Uh, obviously the hope is that he can be a, I don't know, 40% three point shooter. Like, that's even a little bit I think a little bit higher than he shot in uh in college so maybe that's not totally realistic but you know maybe the hope is DiVincenzo's is a player and then with Thonmaker you're obviously hoping that Mike Boonholzer can get something out of him you're hoping that he, he can find a way to get the Thonmaker that we've seen in the last two playoffs that you know if brooke lopez is going to be in with the first unit and they're going to be dropping on pick and roll coverage that maybe thon comes in with the second unit and you're able to be a little bit more aggressive because mike boonholzer does i think thus far at least uh he's proven to prefer a more aggressive style of defense um so maybe Thon Maker's the the change of pace to Brook Lopez's more slow uh, pace that that you'll see from him defensively, and obviously we we've, we've seen Thon have some moments. We also know that having a guy that can shoot next to Giannis at the five is is really a big deal. And you know maybe Urson ends up taking some more of those minutes than Thon Maker will get. But those are my next four, and I, I see them all very similarly. I don't know that there's a ton of difference between those really in between each of those spots, uh, I, I just kind of group them in the same spot in the same area uh, because all of them to me are uh, lottery tickets. And in, in the case of those first rounders, expensive lottery tickets, you, you you use some draft capital on guys that maybe you shouldn't have.
1: All right. And read those off one more time in order.
0: DJ Wilson, Christian Wood, Dante DiVincenzo, Foundmaker.
1: Okay, so DJ Wilson at twelve, Christian Wood eleven. Uh, who did? Sorry, who did you have at ten?
0: I think it's eleven, ten, nine, eight, because Tony okay. Snell was twelve. So okay. Snell at twelve, DJ Wilson at eleven, Christian Wood at ten, Dante DiVincenzo at nine, Thon Maker at eight.
1: Okay, so um, mine are there's some similarities here. There's two similarities um, that I have exactly the same as you. I also had Christian Wood at ten. And I had Thonmaker at eight. Um, I mean, we have half-joked about how we're not really sure Thonmaker is actually better than Christian Wood, um, even though, yep. obviously, one of these guys is a lock to make the roster, and the other guy in Christian Wood, I imagine, probably likely doesn't make the roster, um, but, but could, but likely doesn't. Um, and, again, I think it's what you kind of mentioned about, you know, draft capital investment by the, by the team Um, And in Wood and Thonmaker, it's kind of a weird, it's a weird contrast because Wood, I think, is kind of like, you know, like he doesn't like totally suck at anything or at least like when you watch him play. Like, you know, there's like obviously issues he has, like, you know, I think his defensive focus um, has been a question mark, you know, his intangibles, I mean, kind of his um, makeup have been, I think, kind of question marks over time. But he's very like talented i mean physically he's very talented um you know he's a similar size as thon he's i would say stronger than thon he's a much better finisher just generally a much better you know has much better ball skills and feel and hands than than thon um you know defensively kind of weird just because thon is so great as a switch guy and but otherwise like you could argue he's actually a bad defender and he doesn't rebound at all so is he actually helping you unless you're like using him in a really specific way um whereas wood again i don't know if he has you know really 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 plus defensive upside i think he certainly has some tools he can block shots um he moves well but again like is he gonna put all that together into you know some sort of meaningful impact defender probably not um but i do think it's interesting i i still have Thon at eight as well as you do and and would at 10 just because I don't know. I, I guess I'm still just, uh, we've seen these enough, even though they've been fleeting flashes from Thon, um, especially defensively to think that he might be able to be that type of three and D role playing center. That is very rare. Um, and I think just also like his, his, you know, his makeup, his character, his intangibles, people just continually rave about. I mean, he's a guy we all root for. Yep. Um, so I, i still have those guys in those slots. Um, as far as my other, my, my, I guess, nine and 11, um, spots, um, I've got, uh, Tyler Zeller at 11. I think you had him at 13. Um, again, I, I think, you know, solid blah, blah, blah. You know, he's on a non-guaranteed contract. So he's, you know, literally you could just, you could just put, put him on the curb and it would cost you nothing because you can just wave him um, and, and not owe him any money moving forward. Um. And then um, I actually had Ursan Ilyasova nine. And Ursan <sighs> is kind of tough. I'm going to be curious to see where you have him because he's a guy that is, I would say, overpaid. Not so much like for this season. I mean, he's going to make $7 million. he made $6 million last year. Um, but again, it's just coming back to the fact that you owe him two guaranteed years. Um, and that second year is one where. I mean, again, he's been remarkably consistent. His age, you know, he hasn't really fallen off much at all, sort of as he's aged. He's officially 31. There have always been the rumors that he might be 34. Um, and so far, so good uh, in terms of not really showing any obvious degradation of skills. But again, I mean, it could be next year. It could be the year after. Yep. He just might not be good anymore. He might not be a useful player anymore. And so... Um, I think, especially looking to that second year and the impact of having that guaranteed seven million on the books going into the summer of 2019, I just feel like that probably pushes him very much into that gray area of is this a guy that you would actually like if someone offered to just take him off your hands for you? Like, you know, like I know the Bucks wouldn't do that because they gave him this contract, but like me personally, <laughs> like, yeah. would I just give away Urson if if somebody gave me the chance if an expansion draft happened and somebody could take him? it's very possible i would just because again of the cap flexibility question um, but by the same token i think uh, the fact that we are here in Sept- in uh, august almost september i mean i know the way we pitched this was it's like right now right like would you would you who would you want to you know protect and not protect right now the one challenge is ursan is obviously a short term piece and you would have a hard time just replacing him like right now. Sure. um, If the exercise
0: was done two months earlier. Right. Yeah.
1: Right. If it was July one and you hadn't signed him and you still had your mid-level exception, then I think, you know, again, you'd feel way more inclined to, to not, (laughs) to not take that deal right now. It's kind of like, all right, well, you know, the musical chairs have happened and most of the other guys that you would have considered are are gone. So, um, so I don't know. I still struggle to figure out whether or not I consider him a positive asset. I, I, I definitely think he's less of an asset than, you know, uh, a guy like Thon or Dante DiVincenzo, um, who I've got a little bit higher than you, but um, it's these are, I think, the interesting debates around what is value and, you know, what kind of contract makes a player useful versus not useful.
0: So we're going to go, I think, maybe one more spot. I'm looking at the clock right now. I think we can go maybe one more spot, and I'll go to that spot because it's Ursan. I have Urson at seven, Um, and I kind of use him as the line of demarcation. I think everything above him is undoubtedly positive. Like I struggle to find any way to argue what is above him on my list is negative. I think there is an argument for Ursan with the length of that contract with, which both of us don't like. We, we, we don't like that contract at all. Um, but I do think that he's going to give you 25 good minutes. And for everyone below him on that list, I don't think I can say that. I think the, the one that comes closest to it would be John Henson, uh, but his contract is so bad. And then, I mean, Tyler Zeller, I think, can maybe give you 15 minutes. I I don't view him as someone that can give you 25. I think Ursan can give you 25. Those are going to be 25 good minutes. He has some positional versatility. And he is, as you mentioned, remarkably consistent. He's just a guy that is going to probably shoot somewhere between thirty-five and forty percent from three. He's gonna grab ten, or he's gonna grab five rebounds. He's gonna score ten points, and those numbers may bump up a little bit. Uh, maybe they bump down slightly, even though I don't think that's happened yet in his career. Um, and like you said, maybe there's a fall off coming for him. But um, I-, I just see him as someone that is is pretty much undeniably positive on the floor but his contract is just bad enough to keep him in a spot where we really have to discuss is he a positive asset is he not a positive asset like that contract is just bad enough that this has to remain a conversation because you know if it was i mean even if it was 1 year 7 million I think he moves up into the undoubtedly positive category for me. And he he obviously is not signed for just one year. Uh, it is two years and then a possible third year if they want to sign him and, and keep him. And well, if Mike Boonholzer's in town still, it seems pretty likely that they'll do that because he is a big Ursan Ilyasova fan. So, Ursan uh, Ilyasova, number seven for me on the list. And I think the final guy that you can debate on this list, whether or not he's positive.
1: Yeah. And I, I have at number seven, so seven on down for me, I think are all undeniably positive assets in my book. Um, I have at number seven, Brooke Lopez. Um, again, he signs for half of what early Silva got, but for only one year. Um, I mean, Lopez, I, I would say I would have happily, you know, I would have hap- I mean, I understand why he didn't want it, but I would have happily taken him for, you know, two years and, yeah. More money than 3.3 million, just because I think he's um, a quality player. He, you know, again, I think has started to reinvent his game. Um, as much as he's, you know, physically a guy that uh, the league is moving away from in terms of like big guys who don't move very well. Um, again, I think there is still a role for him. Again, not like a 35 minute per game role, but a 20 25 minute game per, per game role. Definitely, um, and I do think he's better than than any of the other Bucks centers. So my kind of definite positive. Uh, group I think starts at seven, um, and I think probably the other. I, l- let me let me say this. I think we should go one more spot to six, okay. just because I've I've got Dante Divincenzo at six. I think his contract again. I and I'm, I'm obviously not a big Divincenzo fan as far as like you know the value at at seventeen for him. I'm I'm still a bit skeptical there. But um, you know again in terms of a young guy um, who has the upside to be a nice three and D role playing wing. Um, certainly at this point on a rookie contract I would still consider him um, to have enough value there to be a definite positive asset Um, that would that would probably be the the biggest one that I would differ from you on I think because you had him at nine Um, so I would say Lopez at seven DiVincenzo at six and I'm curious I'm curious if you have Brooke Lopez at six because I would have guessed you do, but I don't want to put that in. <laughs> I don't, it's it's your ranking. You, if you want to tell me who you have at six, um, then then I will either be surprised or, or not surprised, I suppose.
0: I do not have Brooke Lopez at six.
1: Oh, okay.
0: I have Eric Bledsoe at six. And with Bledsoe, I think, as you try to figure out exactly what happens with him going forward, I think he's the third best player on this team. Um, I think when you go Giannis, Chris, Bledsoe, I, I don't know that there's much argument for anyone else. Um, maybe maybe Lopez. Uh, I certainly think Bledsoe is more valuable than Brogdon, even though Brogdon does kind of serve that glue guy kind of spot. Um, but I do think his contract is not quite attractive enough. Uh, And he does have enough warts on his game uh, that, you know, as you're going through this fit wise and you're thinking like, okay, does this really work perfectly with Giannis and Chris? Like, eh, it could be better. And again, that might be selfish and that might be a tough grade on a guy who I think is the third best player on the team. Uh, But I do think that contract is eh, enough. And I I would, you know, I wouldn't be that hurt if at some point Eric Bledsoe uh, would be lost. And I don't know that, you know, thinking about Bledsoe going forward, I'm not sure he's the guy. Uh, I'm not sure that it would be a good decision for the Bucks to sign him up for another year after this one. So uh, I think his, his contract is large enough this year uh, that I pushed him down a little bit, even though it is only one year. Um, but I did push him down a little bit just because it wasn't Quite as good of a value as some of the guys above him.
1: See, I would push back and say, and and I won't I won't reveal where <clears throat> where I have Bledsoe quite yet, other than to say I have him higher. Um, I would just say with Bledsoe, like I I mean he could be getting twenty five million this year, and it, to me that doesn't really matter because it doesn't really you know like you're you'd still be under the luxury tax. Sure. Um, or I guess maybe just maybe just barely. I'd have to double check But, um, <laughs> but he could be making a lot more money, and it doesn't really it doesn't really affect anything this year again. Like ultimately kind of the, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like the, the, and this kind of gets into again, like the, w- what's your view of it right now versus, you know, July one, where if you had gotten rid of them, you would have had more cap flexibility. Right. I mean that, yep. th- that stuff matters. Obviously I think just given kind of that the Bucks roster is what it is right now for this season, more or less. Um, I would view blood contract is not an issue at all. Um, but I think, what you mentioned, I think the bigger concern is what would you have to pay Eric Bledsoe on his next contract relative to, you know, where he is at from an age perspective, from an aging curve perspective, and what he's going to give you ages, you know, 30, 31, 32, however long you would sign him, right? And to me, that's the that's the kind of scarier part of his value um, that I would ding him for, m- more so than his contract currently, Um is, is just like the concern that, well, what are you, you know, his to me, value is tied in part to, you know, the likelihood that you bring him back and then what do you bring him back at? And that's obviously, you know, I think we've discussed as a concern given age, given, you know, his fit, things like that.
0: Yeah, in my mind it comes to like, what are you doing with Eric Bledsoe, if that makes yeah. any sense? Like uh, how how does he fit into this picture long-term, which is kind of why I I dinged him, dung him. I'm not a hundred percent sure what the proper conjugation of that would be, but, uh, that was kind of, kind of why I dinged him a little bit just because, you know, ultimately you do have to ask that question. And when a guy has that type of contract, when, uh, he does have the, you know, mental kind of approach kind of questions that we've seen with him, you know, if, if maybe his role doesn't feel quite right, does he end up saying I don't want to be here um, while he's at a hair salon? Uh, does he end up, you know, kind of thinking that he deserves more? I don't know. And so to me, all of that kind of uncertainty with him in that final year uh, with his contract, I, I I, maybe unfairly did it, but I did bump him down a little bit.
1: Yeah, well, let's let's park it because um, I still have to get to Bledsoe in, in my rankings. Um, but I think, the concerns you raised are you know i think the concerns essentially all of us would have about blood so and to be honest this is why i'm i'm kind of happy that blood so is is going to be on this team for the start of the season presumably um because i i do kind of want to see what he does with mike budenholzer yeah. and you know this is sort of like one of these interesting kind of philosophical things and we talked about also in regard to jabari parker but you know, if Budenholzer is this great developmental coach and this really good coach in general, then you want to see how that helps, not just the try-hard, low-ceiling guys yep. um, that you hopefully can maximize as role players. But, I mean, ideally, that if you're a great coach and you're a great developmental guy, then, or, and obviously there's more of a staff thing than just, like, Budenholzer himself, um, but you hope that that also can translate into really talented guys who maybe for various reasons haven't reached their peak. Right. And I think that would have been one of the arguments for trying to keep Juari Parker this year. Right. Was saying, well, he's only ever been coached by Jason Kidd and his staff. And he had obviously big fundamental kind of issues with that group. And they're you know, you, you feel like you, there was never necessarily like a great being on the same page aspect to, to yeah. that relationship. So, it would have been. It would be nice from an intellectual perspective just to see what, wh- how much different he might look playing for a good coach. Um, and I think Bledsoe is obviously kind of s- similar in that regard. Um, obviously, he's under contract, so there's no, there was no decision to make this summer like there was with Jabari. Um, and, and obviously, they're very different players, right? Age, profile, etc. Um, Bledsoe has a very clear role on this team that I don't think Jabari had um, as a starter. Um, so there's lots of kind of differences, but, um, but I do think it's a really interesting, this exercise I think does, I think it, it does kind of bring out a lot of these interesting factors that you lose when you just think about it from like, well, who's, who's the best at basketball? Cause as you said, I, I think both of us would agree that Bledsoe's the third best guy on this team. And, and I would argue that, yeah, it's not close. I would, I would agree with that. So anyway, we can continue, um, and, and kind of wrap up the rankings, uh, I guess next week, but um it's it's yeah it's an interesting i think exercise and i know our friends at uh Brew hoop are starting their ranking the roster series as well which is a s- maybe slightly different uh theoretical exercise um but very similar i think i would probably take more or less the same approach there that i i did with this so um be sure to check that out as well and i'm going to be curious to see how they're Community rankings uh, shakeout uh, relative to ours.
0: All right, that's going to be it for us. Uh, hopefully, there are no computer problems next week. Hopefully, I figure everything out and figure out all my problems and have the the pod all ready to go up and running and running at full capacity next week. We'll see if I actually get that done. So that's a bit of a teaser for the weekend. <laughs> um, will I actually get that done and have everything ready to go uh, at the end of the weekend and ready for you next week for Frank Men? I'm Eric Name. This has been the second part of Buck Survivor. This has been Lockdown Bucks. We will talk to you next week.